This story is brought to your ears by all our fantastic supporters on Patreon. To get in on the action yourself with bloopers, extras, and the occasional early story, join us at patreon.com slash voiceofallmtg. We'd like to thank our newest patrons, Moth, Silas Ray, and Ian Linthart for already donating. For more stories or just a chat, visit voiceofallmtg.com. And now, Voice of All presents The Gathering Storm, Chapter 19 by Django Wexler. The Beacon Tower was on the corner of an otherwise nondescript residential block, close enough to New Prov that most of the residents were clerks and functionaries who worked in that massive complex. On an ordinary day, Raoul might have seen vendors selling street food or newspapers, carriages transporting the wealthier residents, and a sea of pedestrians huddled under umbrellas against the autumn rains. The tower itself had been used by a nearby scriptorium as extra storage space until Raoul's team had displaced their boxes of paper and replaced them with crystals and museum wire. Today, of course, was anything but normal. By the time Raoul reached the rendezvous a block away from the tower, the battle between dragons was in full swing. Whatever attack Niv-Mizzet had unleashed against Bolas, a light so bright it had hurt the eyes even through closed eyelids, had raised an enormous cloud of dust and debris obscuring the horizon in that direction. The flashes and crackles of magic indicated the conflict was ongoing. In the rest of the district, everyone seemed to have gone a little mad. Most ordinary citizens had bolted for their cellars, ignorant of the true importance of what was happening. Others had taken to the streets in mobs, demanding answers from the guilds or clashing with whoever they thought was the enemy. There were brawls and looting, all the more so because the Azorius forces, who would normally be deployed against such chaos, seemed to have completely vanished. Boros Legion troops were deployed to push back against the panic, but they were spread thin, and the Gruul were making a bad situation worse. Bands of rampaging Anarchs had boiled out of the rubble belts, attacking the Boros posts or slipping past to wreak havoc in the city. The rest of the guilds had tightened their defenses in response, leaving the city a collection of armed camps, while everyone watched the dragons slug it out and tried to imagine what might come of it. What would they think if they knew it was all just a distraction? Mighty Niv-Mizzet, hurling himself against the invader Nicol Bolas, all to buy time for Rao to climb a few stories and press a few keys on an incomprehensibly complex machine. I wouldn't believe it either. But Dovin Bon clearly understood, or at least had received detailed instructions. Rao, standing in an alley between a cake shop and a haberdasher, peered around the corner and grimaced. The Azorius troops that were missing from the rest of the 10th district were present in force here. Squads of arresters manned makeshift barricades all through the streets near the tower, hundreds of them, backed up by hussars on horseback and a swarm of thopters hovering overhead. This, this is, is not, not going, going to be, to be easy. easy. On the horizon, there was a flash of light, followed a few seconds later by a dull boom fading to a roll of thunder. Raoul glanced up at the clouds overhead, 
But though dark and heavy, they showed no inclination to add any natural pyrotechnics to the draconic maelstrom. He looked over his shoulder, found the alley still empty, and sourly went back to surveying the defenses. Hey. Kaya was behind him. Raoul restrained himself with an effort. <sighs> you know, sneaking up on people is bad manners at the best of times. Right now, it's a good way to get yourself electrocuted. Sorry. Force of habit. I got your note. That's something, anyway. Raoul straightened and turned. Kaya was dressed in the practical fighting outfit he'd first encountered her in, without any Orzhov regalia, and her plain daggers hung at her sides. Take a look. Tell me what you think. She leaned out into the street briefly and gave a low whistle. That's a lot of swords. What's in that tower, anyway? Maybe our last chance. Raoul glanced at the seething, flashing mass of smoke and cloud that was the ongoing battle. I'm open to suggestions. Is it something we can steal? I could get into the tower through the buildings behind it, I think. Unfortunately, I have to get in there myself. And I'm sure there are guards in there, too. Then we have a problem. Any chance of reinforcements from Orzov? I brought everything I could pry loose at short notice. Kaya pointed upward, and Raoul craned his neck. The rooftops over the alley were thick with ugly, misshapen stone faces. Gargoyles. They're quiet, and they obey orders. Anything else means having a debate with the Hierophants, which I don't think we had time for. Tomek said he would do his best. Raoul felt a pang, which he suppressed ruthlessly. Time for that later. If they could cause enough confusion, we might be able to make it to the front doors, but- My mates! A set of rapidly approaching footsteps resolved into Hikara, moving at speed. And then, Ral found himself being hugged, which was not an experience he was particularly interested in. He put one hand on Hikara's forehead to pry her away, and she happily transferred herself to Kaya, who bore the embrace with better humor. I see you got my note too. Yep! Hikara let go of Kaya and turned back to him, beaming. I was down there waiting on his flamingosity when it turned up, and he told me to go help you out, so here I am. Hikara had been curiously absent the last few days, given her usual reluctance to leave Ral's side. Ral had refused to worry about her. Worry, worry more, more about, about whoever she happens, she happens to. to. Still, he had to admit it was a relief to have her back under his eye. So, I heard we've got some smashing to do. <laughs> All those iron brains over there, right? Yeah, more or less. We need to get to the tower. Any ideas? Ugh, I have lots of ideas. <laughs> Did I tell you the one about the funny duck who wears pants? Relevant ideas? Ral exchanged a glance with Kaya, who looked more amused than he was. Hmm, maybe. A relevant is one of those big gray things with the ears like a giant loxodon, right? Hakara, how do we get past the guards? Oh, that. Just wait a minute. She cupped a hand to her ear, listening. And in the stillness, Raoul heard a few discordant notes. I brought some friends. At first, it was just sort of a wheezing, gasping noise, as though someone were playing the accordion. As it grew... It became clear that someone was playing the accordion, and that they weren't very good at it. Then, as the level of sound grew louder, 
the listener perceived that not only was the accordion player not particularly skilled, but the instrument itself seemed to be mortally wounded, discharging great blats of sound at semi-random intervals. It was quickly joined by a chorus of brass trumpets, no two in tune, and a phalanx of drummers, none of whom had shared their ideas concerning what the beat should be. It was, in short, a cacophony, but a very deliberate one, a wall of discordant noise that somehow combined to produce a weird, lurching melody. It was captivating in its awfulness, swelling and falling, nearly coming together and then collapsing back into its component parts. A tiny man came around the corner, barely four feet high, dressed in an outlandish gold suit and juggling for all he was worth. A whirling galaxy of balls filled the air above him, interspersed with knives, axes, and rolling pins, and his hands were a blur as he expertly caught these objects and flung them back into the air on long, looping trajectories that were somehow in time with the timeless music playing behind him. The juggler was followed by a pair of tumbling girls in huge metal hoops, which wobbled down the street like spinning coins, their spangled occupants upside down half the time. Behind them came a rank of drummers, six abreast, with three more standing on their shoulders. Behind that came a platform nearly as wide as a street and as long as several carriages. It was carried by a row of large, burly creatures on each side, ogres, minotaurs, and any other species tall and broad enough, all decorated in glittering red and black and adorned with gold and silver ornaments. Atop the platform, a pair of goblins capered with the foreshadowed accordion, which, it turned out, was not so much damaged as heavily and inexpertly modified with a huge tube and an extra set of bellows. Trumpet players in motley strolled in a circle around the moving stage, periodically turning to reverse direction with much comedic stumbling and whacking one another with their ungainly instruments. More jugglers dodged through the fray, tossing unlikely things to one another and slinging insults at the trumpeters as they nearly tripped them up. More performers flanked the stage, jumping and tumbling, whirling long silk scarves and blowing long gouts of fire into the air. Another rank of drummers brought up the rear, all of them larger creatures carrying deeper bass drums, providing a pounding underbeat. The heavy footfalls of the stage-bearers merge with the deeper booms to sound like an army on the march. What exactly is that supposed to be? Master Pen Jandrum's extraordinary carnival of delights! Us Rachnus told them to come give us a hand. Uh, aren't they great? They're certainly loud. Sorry. Kaya watched a provocatively costumed woman bend in an unlikely direction and blow kisses made of colored smoke. I don't think I'm keeping up. These are our reinforcements. A circus. With Rakdos, a circus is never just a circus. Come on, let's stay close. Can your gargoyles deal with those thopters? Kaya nodded and shouted something up to the rooftops. A moment later, the flock of gargoyles took flight, circling the tower. The group took off at a jog. They'll wait for us to start. Whatever it is we're doing. Just watch. And get ready to run. 
Hikara bounced along beside him, clapping her hands completely out of time with the music. The Azorius soldiers, arrayed behind their barricades, could scarcely have missed the approach of the moving stage and its phalanx of performers. Apparently, though, they weren't clear in their mind what to do about it, because there was a great deal of running about and consultation before an officer hurried down the street, waving his arms. Gentlemen! This area is under direct control of the Senate, in accordance with Resolution 3842, concerning emergencies and appropriate conduct. Furthermore, your entertainment ought to have been registered in advance with the Bureau of Street Use. All relevant officials would have been notified. I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to disperse. Oh dear. A man Ral hadn't noticed before unfolded himself from the front of the stage. Unfolded was exactly the right word. Ral had never seen a human so elongated. He was head and shoulders taller than Ral himself, but skeletally thin, with limbs that looked like dry sticks. A formal suit hung off of him, as though it were on a washing line, looking ridiculous, and a too small hat sat absurdly on his bulging skull. His face was painted dead white, with lips and eyes outlined in brilliant crimson. That's Master Panjandrum. Master Panjandrum stepped off the edge of the stage, foot coming down smoothly on the back of a tumbler who contorted herself to make a stool. Even at ground level, Panjandrum towered over the Azorius officer. Beside him, the little juggler was still in full swing, miscellaneous objects whirling above him in an endless loop. It's really too bad. The lads will be so disappointed. What do you think, lads? They say we have to go home. The music came to an abrupt, discordant halt. The drummers stopped. The trumpeters froze mid-note, and the accordion went quiet after one last discordant blat. There was a moment of silence, and then a hundred voices shouted in chorus. The show must go on! Well, there you have it. What? Now see here, I- <clears throat> Then he stopped, because one of the objects from the juggler's whirling collection, a metal ball about the size of a fist, had gotten away from him and fallen from a considerable height to land square on the officer's head. The man toppled bonelessly to the cobbles. Oops! Penjandrum's painted smile drew up into a huge grin. Hikara, still bouncing, elbowed Ral in the ribs. This is where it gets good! Captain! A uniformed woman rose from cover and stepped forward, only to fall back with a butcher knife embedded in her eye. The little gesture became a blur, objects spinning out of his hands into the ranks of Azorius troops. Knives, plates whose rims turned out to be sharp as razors, beanbags that burst into swarms of tiny silver darts, and even more unlikely weapons rained down. As one, the front rank of drummers smashed their instruments over their knees, revealing long, bladed whips stored inside. Those standing on the shoulders of the others jumped down, their new weapons swinging in wide, deadly arcs. 
Behind them, the trumpeters raised their instruments to their shoulders and pulled hidden triggers, causing them to spit steel-headed crossbow bolts. Fire! Return fire! Crossbows zinged, sending a rain of quarrels into the traveling circus and sending performers crashing to the cobblestones. One man, struck in the midst of the spitting fire, exploded in a spectacular ball of flame. A bolt hit one of the tumbling women as she hurtled through the air, and she spun with its momentum, executing a perfect landing with arms outstretched, before taking a long bow and then falling over dead. Everyone's a critic. Master Penjandrum ducked amidst the hail of fire. Show what we do to critics, lads! The Rockdose performers gave a roar and surged forward, letting the portable stage fall to the ground. Azorius arresters rose from cover to meet them, swords drawn, and battle was joined. Kaya looked on in disbelief, and then turned to Hikara. Are all your circuses like this? Mmm, no, 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 not all. I mean, sometimes they have tigers. Remind me to skip that one. Kaya drew her daggers. Overhead, gargoyles swooped and dove, tangling with the hovering thopters. Shall we? The square was chaos. Tumbling acrobats with bladed fingers slashed and spun. Jugglers hurled their weapons, and a squad of ogres in clown makeup laid into the Azorius troopers in a way that suggested they were not at all amused. A group of hussars charged, sabers slashing. One of them cut a juggler's head clean off, only for the decapitated performer to pop back up a moment later and reveal himself to be two goblins in a long overcoat. Ral, Kaya, and Hikara worked their way through the press, heading for the front door of the tower. For the most part, the Azorius troopers ignored them in favor of more obvious threats. Hikara capered delightedly, conjuring her long, thin blades out of nothing and hurling them in every direction, finding eyes, throats, and gaps in armor. Kaya took the lead, daggers out, and when an arrester came at her, she simply let him pass through in a burst of purple light, and then planted a knife in his back while he tried to work out what happened. Bits of thopter were raining down, gears and smashed crystals dropping steadily around them. The flying machines fought back, with spinning drills and electric sparks, and the occasional broken gargoyle fell as well, breaking apart and coming down as a rain of gravel. Raoul looked up, not at the aerial melee, but at the flashes and glows in the clouds farther off, trying to gauge how that much larger fight was going. It was impossible to see anything from here other than that it was still in progress. We're not out of time yet. In front of the tower door, a rank of disciplined arresters with heavy shields stood in front of a robed mage who shouted commands that mostly went unheard. They caught sight of Ral and the others, and raised their shields in time to deflect a rain of knives from Hakara. Out of the way! Ral raised his hands. Lightning crackled and spat from his fingers. This tower is off-limits! The mage raised his hands. White light rose around him in neat, concentric circles. You are forbidden to cross the threshold by order of the Senate! Glyphs glowed and spun, giving the law mage's words the force of magic. Raoul sent a bolt of lightning at him, but it broke against the ward. He set his jaw. We haven't got time for this. Hakara, can one of your friends- I'll handle it. Hold their attention. Right. 
Hikara capered forward, summoning more blades. Kaya took a deep breath, then sank into the earth with a purple flash. Raoul shrugged and sent another bolt at the law mage. The man twisted his hands, reinforcing his ward. Another bolt, and another, achieved just as little, and Raoul saw the mage's confidence growing. He gestured his soldiers forward. Raoul was the only one who saw Kaya step out of the ground, gasping for breath. Before the mage knew she was there, she was reaching around him, bringing her dagger across his throat. He fell in a tide of blood, and the spell shivered and vanished. Raoul raised his hands and felt power flowing from his accumulator, gathering for a moment in his gauntlets before leaping out to play across the entire rank of Azorius soldiers. They collapsed like dominoes, and Raoul and Hakara hopped lightly over the line of armored bodies. The door rattled when Raoul tried it, but it didn't move. He frowned and glanced over his shoulder. The square was still full of Rakdos performers locked in combat with Azorius troops, but that wouldn't last forever. Reinforcements were almost certainly on the way. All right, stand back. Uh, hang on a minute. Kaya stepped up to the door, stuck her arm straight through it, and fumbled around for a moment. A heavy thump indicated she'd dislodged the bar from the other side, and she pulled it open. Much easier. Oh, that's handy. Hey, what would happen if you put your head through, right? And then someone tried to open the door and- I try not to think about it. Kaya stepped into the dark space beyond. This place looks empty. The beacon's at the top. He gestured Hikara inside and closed and barred the door behind them. The tower was, in fact, largely empty, with a single broad staircase winding around its outer rim. It had once possessed more internal floors, the stone supports for the wooden floorboards were still there, but the Izzet engineers had ripped them out to make it easier to lift components up to the top with cranes. Looking straight up, Raoul could see the underside of a complicated mass of machinery, interlocking gears, great hanging loops of misium cable, and crackling crystal accumulators. I mean, I would have thought they'd have guards in here too, if it's so important. They may be waiting for us at the top as well. Be careful. We gotta walk. Didn't you say there was one of those lifter things? Uh, it was more of a catapult, if I recall correctly. I think they took it back to Nivix when they finished the work. Oh, that sounds awesome. They started up the stairs, Kaya taking the lead with daggers drawn. Halfway up the first turn, Raoul held up a hand, staring at the curving staircase ahead of them. Something moved. Watch closely. A ball of fizzing electricity appeared above his hand, and Raoul blew on it gently. It drifted forward, expanding into a field of power, not strong enough to do anything more than raise the hairs on someone's skin. But it did outline everything in front of them with a brief, crackling aura. The walls, the stairs, a loop of hanging coil, and a dozen strange, spindly, six-legged things. Kaya tensed as the creatures stood up. They weren't invisible, exactly, just expertly camouflaged, their flat metal surfaces shifting color and hue to blend in with the stone behind them. They had long, asymmetrical bodies with lean, stilt-like legs that twisted and hooked weirdly. Here are your guards. What are they? Constructs. Hikara cocked her head. 
No, oh, I thought those were all big and covered in gears. I mean, these are sort of cute. These are Tezzeret's creations. Whatever they are, we have to get past them, don't we? Kaya dropped into a crouch. Let's get on with it. The leading construct came forward, legs clicking on the stone. Kaya ran at it, daggers extended, and it raised a limb to spear her on the needle-like point. By the time the blow came, she was gone, twisting sideways and phasing through one of the thing's other limbs to attack the next machine in line. Her daggers plunged into its side, point slipping through its steel skin with the flare of purple light to wreak havoc on its interior workings. Hikara put on the mad grin she reserved for hurting people or breaking things and conjured a brace of daggers from the air. The first pair simply bounced off the construct's tough outer covering, so the Razor Witch created another pair, sharp and narrow as ice picks, and darted forward. She ducked under the lead construct, stabbing upward and driving her weapons into its belly. Raoul followed her example. A lightning bolt would just slide over the thing's metal skins, so he concentrated his energy in his gauntlets, holding a ball of plasma above his palm until it glowed white-hot. When a construct lurched toward him, he dodged its slash and slammed the concentrated energy against it. What passed for its head burst apart in a shower of superheated metal, and the thing stumbled drunkenly sideways off the stair, hitting the floor of the tower far below and bursting into a mass of twisted metal. Up ahead, Kaya was dismantling another machine with her daggers, and Hikara was keeping one occupied by punching it full of tiny holes. When her picks broke in her hands, she simply summoned new ones and kept at it, staying away from the construct's counterstrokes with contemptuous ease. Raoul came in from behind and fried the thing with a touch, leaping over its collapsing body to intercept another before it could skewer Hikara from behind. Another construct fell off the stairs, four of its six legs detached already. In a few more moments of frantic action, the way was clear. Nothing like a good fight with your mates, yeah? Hikara looked at her two companions with a broad grin. It can certainly be invigorating. Kaya gave a small smile. That can't be the last of them. Raoul looked up and shook his head. Something's waiting for us up there. Then we'll take them out too. Come on. The last curve of the stairs was within the machinery of the beacon, so they were flanked by banks of coils and accumulators, control panels, and hanging loops of wire. None of it looked damaged. Raoul knew the core of the beacon was well protected, but he was still worried Boldus's forces might have attempted to disable it. Apparently not. Their attention must be elsewhere. Where the stone tower ended, the stairs emerged onto a flat deck that formed the base of a broad, copper dome. The machinery of the beacon was concentrated in the center of the room, arrayed around a single vast resonating crystal. That was the heart of the thing, the technology Raoul had salvaged from Project Lightning Bug, vastly scaled up and inverted. When the proper current was applied, it would become a blazing torch, shining forth into the multiverse. At least in theory, every planeswalker would be able to see it and find their way to Ravnica. In front of the core was a keyboard, like a piano's, complete with ivory keys. The security lockout. That was the final safeguard. If Raoul keyed in the sequence he'd chosen, what felt like a hundred years ago, then the beacon would activate. 
and that activation was designed to be irrevocable. It would burn until its fuel ran out. Almost, Almost there. there. Unfortunately, the rest of the room wasn't empty. Steel pillars stood at regular intervals, supporting a complicated mesh of wires, conduits, and elaborate gear trains. Some of the equipment passed through grates in the floor to connect with things down below. Other wires reached for the walls, exiting through other grates that gave a dim view of the darkened sky outside. In the midst of this jungle, between them and the security keyboard, two women stood side by side. Lavinia had traded her hooded cloak for a bright set of blue and gold Azorius armor and stood with one hand on her sword. Beside her, Vraska was all in black, her tendrils already writhing. The Gorgon looked over the three of them with a toothy, contemptuous smile. Well, it took you long enough. Thank you for listening to this production of Voice of All. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you not just for the voices of the characters, but also to keep us going and growing. If you enjoyed what you heard, please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or following us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, and Google Podcasts, or just plain sharing with your friends. You can also support us financially on Patreon for exclusive perks. The Gathering Storm was written by Django Wexler. The podcast was produced and edited by Gendo Keshi, with sound editing by Grace Noir. This week's story featured the voice talents of Mycroftian, Nilani, Melissa Sheldon, Noxshade, Rhythm Bastard, Paul Warren, Abzan Ascendancy, Phoenix Madrone, Sean Thomas, Dan Mulcairin, Elvin Fangirl, Penny, Sidney Hines III, and... Maxi Bridgewood. Voice of All is unofficial fan content, permitted under the Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Magic the Gathering is copyright, Wizards of the Coast. Thanks so much for listening, and y'all have a great day. <laughs>